Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. Get ready for your life to be changed by today's message from Pastor Luke Remington. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. I want to help you out. I'm, I'm not going to preach about this, but I think it's necessary for you to understand so you don't miss what God's about to give you. It's important how you approach the scripture. When you approach the scripture, you have to understand that the word of God is not just an account of what happened, but it's an account of what's still happening. So when we read, for instance, about David killing Goliath, it is an account of what happened. But if that's all it is, it's just a nice story that doesn't really help us too much. But when we understand that the Word of God is, yes, what happened, but it's also what's still happening. I'm not going to preach, but I'm going I'm to preach it like I feel it right now. It lets us understand that God is still slaying giants in our life. It, it becomes not just about rocks and slingshots and historical accounts. It becomes what's still happening. So when we look at something in our lives that's bigger than us, that's stronger than us, we can say, if God did it for David, the Word of God is alive. It happened then and it's still happening now. When we approach the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fire, and the fourth man with the likeness of the Son of God steps in and not a hair on their body is burned. It's what happened and it's a nice story and it makes us say, wow, God, you really moved. But when we understand that the Word of God is alive, it's not just what happened, it's what's still happening. And that means when it gets hot in our life, when we go through the fire, when we go through situations that should take us out and burn us up and cause us to be no more, we know if God stepped in the fire for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's still stepping in the middle of the fire. It's what happened, but it's still happening. Somebody say, it's still happening. It's still happening. 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1 says this, now David said, is there anyone, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Bless God, you don't have that name. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who was lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Mahir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. Then King David sinned and brought him out of the house of Mahir, son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, everybody say Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore. Somebody say restore. restore. 
I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table. Somebody say table. You shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant? that you should look upon a dead, such a dead dog as I. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. I need you to understand what happened on this stage at the end of worship. Our last song was Let Praises Rise, and all of a sudden they begin to sing King of Glory, feel this place, I just want to be with you. And I said, my God, how deeply prophetic is that? And they begin to invite the King of Glory and say, King of Glory. Glory, fill this place. I said, how deeply prophetic because they're preaching my sermon because what the Holy Ghost is saying in this place today, Trey, is God has a seat for you at the king's table. This morning, I come to tell you very quickly that God has a seat for you at the king's table. He has set a table. He has set an atmosphere. He's invited you in and he's pulled up a chair and he's saying son daughter there's a seat for you at the king's table God set this whole morning up this whole afternoon up for you touch your neighbor say there's a seat at the king's table before we pray let me tell you you're not going to beat the Baptist to the buffet anyway so you might as well stay. Amen. Would you help me pray one more time and invite him in the room, God, tonight, today? We have one objective, and it is to host your presence well. God, we have not come for man's agenda, for man's order, for man's glory. We have come to host your presence. We have come to seek your face and to hear your voice. Today we know that you have a word and that you have a move for your people. So King of Glory, right now we agree and invite you into this house. Whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, come King of Glory. Come Today I pray that sons and daughters would begin to sit at the right seat, that they would begin to sit in the right place. I pray that not one stone would leave here unturned, but you would deal with the people under the sound of my voice. Heal trauma, heal pain, heal hurt, heal frustration. Do what only you can do. Use me today for my availability and not my ability. Don't let them leave here and say, wow, what a preacher, but God let him leave here and say, wow, what a savior. I pray today, God, hide me behind the shadow of your cross. Come in this place. Do your work. This is your word, your work. So come and do it in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen. 
You can be seated. There's a seat for you at the king's table. Give me a few minutes to set this up. Here in 2 Samuel 9, we find David in a position where he had been at war with the house of Saul for a long time. He was spoken over that he would be the king of Israel, but Saul, out of pride, began to fight against David and begin to, to fight so that he would not have to give up the throne of Israel. David continues to run from Saul, but to stay humble and to serve the Lord. And through that, because of that heart, God gives David victory over the house of Saul. He puts him in the rightful throne. He puts him in the right position. And now in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we find David who has beaten Saul. He's defeated the house of Saul. He is seated as rightful king of Israel. And he begins to reflect on the victory that he has won. He begins to reflect on how God has utterly destroyed his enemy. He begins to reflect on the fact that God has brought him to a place where every promise has been fulfilled and what he says is is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to for Jonathan's sake David and Jonathan Jonathan was Saul's son David and Jonathan were best friends when David served Saul in the house in his house he was best friends with his son Jonathan so much so that when Saul began to try to pursue and kill David, David and Jonathan come to a field near Saul's house and cut a covenant with one another saying, Jonathan, you will surely tell me if your father is about to kill me. And Jonathan says, I love you. I would tell you if my father was going to cause you harm. They cut a covenant to stay loyal to each other. They, they, they cut a covenant to stay loyal to each other and then they go their separate ways. Jonathan continues to fight and serve for the house of his father Saul David establishes his own house and his own kingdom and and through battle what happens is the house of Saul is being defeated and Saul in battle not wanting to die a death of someone that would die unworthy he said I'm not gonna let this army kill me I'll kill myself he falls on his own sword Jonathan is killed in battle but Jonathan had a five-year-old son named Mephibosheth and as this was happening Mephibosheth was five years old and in 2nd Samuel chapter 4 verse 4 we find the word of God says Jonathan Saul's son had a son who was lame in his feet he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was dropped by a royal nurse at five years old and was paralyzed, lame in his feet from being dropped by that nurse. Mephibosheth was dropped by a nurse that was entrusted to take care of him. He was dropped by a person close to him. He was paralyzed through trauma that was brought by the hands of someone that should have been taking care of him. And isn't it true that oftentimes our greatest pain and our greatest hurt and our greatest trauma come from people who are the closest to us. They come from the things that are closest to us. People who were entrusted to take care of us somehow dropped us. What are you saying? 
saying, preacher, when we were young like Mephibosheth, we can look back and see areas where people who should have been taking care of us might have dropped us. Let me go a little deeper. Can I get real in this house this morning? We get dropped through child molestation. We get dropped through divorce. We get dropped through addiction. We get dropped through failure. We get dropped through fighting. We get dropped through the church leader coming to us and saying something that wasn't right. We get dropped by someone who should have been taking care of us. And what happens is we become dropped. We get dropped because we were from the wrong side of the track, so we got made fun of. We get dropped because mom and dad weren't there because mama was in jail and daddy was on the street. We get dropped by the circumstances of life. And what happens when we get dropped at a young age is we often become paralyzed. Mephibosheth was dropped at five years old and he couldn't walk. He began to be known as the man who was lame in both of his feet. He was dropped at five years old, and through the trauma he experienced at five years old, he lived an entire life paralyzed. He lived under an identity given to him by the trauma and the pain that he went through. He lived paralyzed in a land called Lodabar. And what happens is oftentimes we get dropped at early stages in our life. And through getting dropped, often by people that are entrusted to take care of us, is we do the same thing that we find Mephibosheth doing. We live paralyzed. What do you mean, preacher? Paralyzed by addiction, paralyzed by perversion, paralyzed by homosexuality, paralyzed by complacency, paralyzed by apathy. I need you to understand that paralysis is a byproduct of trauma. Every time you see someone who struggles with life controlling issues, more often than not, it is because they have went through trauma. And I feel like correcting a thing every time that you look at that homosexual and you snarl at them and you call them names and you act like you're better than them. Can I tell you statistics say for 91% of men, they were molested as children. And for 86% of homosexual women, they were molested as children. They're living paralyzed in perversion but it's because they were dropped. What you have to understand is when we look at a life that is filled with sin, more often than not, that sin, that addiction, that complacency entered their life through trauma. As the church, we have got to stop trying to deal with the symptom of sin and deal with the root of sin. They're broken because they were dropped. And if somebody would stand up and say, son and daughter, you don't have to live in an identity that was never supposed to be yours. We got to stop dealing with the symptom of sin and realize people are living paralyzed because they were dropped. It's all they've ever known. We live paralyzed, stuck in the trauma of being dropped. But Phoebesheth was five years old when he received wrong identity through trauma. Mephibosheth knew what it was like to live innocent, to walk with the king, to live as royalty, 
to be everything he was supposed to be. He knew what it was like before he got hurt, but now he is stuck in a place where he's crippled in both feet and that thought of what he used to be and what he used to have haunts him every day because he remembers what it was like before the nurse dropped him. Oh, come on somebody. You know that every night you go to sleep, you remember what it was like before that person took your innocence. You remember what it was like before depression entered your life. You remember what it was like, daughter, before you started starving yourself to line up with some bogus identity that culture said you should have. You know what it was like before you were dropped, but you stay in a state of paralysis because through trauma, you've been labeled. Through trauma, you've been labeled and you have come into agreement with the fact that this is what my life is supposed to look like. This is the way it's been since I was five years old. Mephibosheth couldn't walk since he was five. And he comes to a place where he's paralyzed and he accepts and expects the reality of paralysis. Listen, here's what I want to, before I preach, I want you to understand this. One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to do what he did with Mephibosheth and label you by the trauma you went through. He hits you when you're the weakest, where you're the weakest. The enemy does not fight fair. He takes joy in using molestation to make you think you're a homosexual. The enemy takes joy in using depression to make you think you're worthless. He takes joy in using that divorce to make you think that the Father in heaven doesn't love you. He takes joy in using that failure to make you think that you're never going to achieve the call of God on your life. He takes joy in it. It's one of the enemy's greatest tactics because when we come, when we're dropped at a young age, we begin to live under that label and we begin to accept it as identity and say, well, I guess I was just born this way. I guess I was born an alcoholic. I guess I was born a transgender. I guess I was born depressed. I guess I was born this way. And I feel like preaching right here even though it's off my notes. Baby, just because you were born that way don't mean you can't get born again. My Bible tells me that lest a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. Just because you think you were born that way don't mean you can start over. But if you look at your life and draw it back, you'll often find that that addiction, that perversion, and that wrong identity came by an avenue of trauma. Mephibosheth was dropped by a person that was entrusted to take care of him. He was paralyzed through the trauma he experienced. And the reality of it is, as he went through trauma, entered paralysis, and began to let that determine who he thought he was. The enemy will use your greatest place of pain to misidentify you and paralyze your purpose. 
Mephibosheth was living under the label of trauma. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 4, that when David called him out, he was stuck living in a land called Lodabar. He was living paralyzed, crippled, because he was dropped at a young age, living under the label of his trauma, under a wrong identity in a land called Lodabar, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 4. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Mephibosheth was living paralyzed through trauma in Lodabar. Paralyzed through trauma in Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. Lodabar literally means no word. You have a man who was dropped at a young age and through trauma he lived paralyzed in a land of no word. In the land of Lodabar, he lived in a place where his paralysis was allowed to be his identity because there was no word coming forth to correctly identify him. He was living in the land of no word, in the land of Lodabar where he said, I guess this is just how it's supposed to be because when you're in the land of no word you will always settle for less than what you were made for Mephibosheth had a claim to royalty being Saul's grandson but because he was in the land of Lodabar because he was in the land of no word he agreed with the wrong identity that was placed on him through trauma so he said I guess this is where I'm supposed to be in the land of Lodabar in the land of no word because when you're in the land of no words you always come into agreement with your circumstance I can tell you didn't catch this and it might be because it's 1256 when you live in the land of no word when you live in the land of no Debar, you will always come into agreement with whatever comes into your life. You will always come into agreement with whatever bad circumstance, whatever lot you've been cast. You'll come into agreement and say, well, bless God, I guess this is just my lot in life. Can I tell you, if I ever go to the hospital, please don't send nobody up there like that to pray for me. Send me somebody that knows even though this is how it looks, I have a word. I have a word. I have a word even though I have a even though this is the way it looks and even though this is how it's been I have a word don't send somebody who lives in Lodabar to pray for me baby send me a Holy Ghost filled person who knows how to get a word and speak into a circumstance and watch God turn it around but in the land of Lodabar all you know is all you got all you know is all you got my daddy was this, my granddaddy was this, my mama was this, my mama was that, so it's what I'm supposed to be. Oh, come on, somebody. When you're in the land of Lodabar, you say, my granddaddy was a gangbanger. My daddy was a gangbanger. They all died and went to prison. All my cousins are locked up. All my uncles are dead. I guess it's my turn. This is just how it's supposed to be. Mephibosheth had a claim to royalty, but there was no word coming forth to correctly identify him. He remained stuck 
because there was no word to bring him out. No word caused him agree, to agree with the circumstance of his pain and paralysis. Listen, the circumstance of trauma through being dropped at a young age, paralyzed in both of his feet, the circumstance of trauma called Mephibosheth hopeless, worthless, better off dead. The word of trauma said this is how it's supposed to be. You're purposeless, you're broken, and you're dropped. Listen, the word of culture said you should be dead. What do you mean, preacher? Because it was custom for kings when they took over a nation to kill off the seed of the previous king. So cultural standards said, Mephibosheth, you should be dead. You better be glad you're alive. The word of trauma said you're dropped, broken, hopeless, addicted, paralyzed, worthless, purposeless. Culture said this is the best it will get for you be happy you're not dead trauma spoke a word culture spoke a word but there was a king who spoke a better word there was a king that said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to? And they said, there's one son who's lame in his feet. He said, where is he? They said, he's in Lodabar. He said, bring him out of Lodabar and bring him to me. The king brings Mephibosheth from the land of Lodabar. And the first thing he speaks to him is Mephibosheth. He looks at Mephibosheth, who two verses before was introduced as the man who was lame in both of his feet. But the king said, trauma calls you lame. Culture says you're better off dead. But I'm the king and I know how to call you by your name. Aren't you glad that the king knows how to call you by your name? Aren't you glad that the king knows how to say, I'm not going to define you by failure. I'm not going to define you by trauma. I'm not going to define you by what you went through. I will call you by your name. Everybody else identified him by his pain. But the king said, no, no, no. I'll identify you by your purpose. Everybody else identified him by what he went through. But the king knew how to identify him by what he was supposed to be. Everybody else said, you're better off dead. But the king knew how to look and speak a word into a man that had lived for years under wrong identity and turn it around. Mephibosheth, the king calls him by his name. I'm trying to hurry up because we, we need to have an altar call. This is so different because multiple times in the word, almost every time you find the name Mephibosheth, he is identified with his trauma. He is known by what he went through. But when he's brought before the king, the king knows how to rightly identify what's been wrongly spoken over. When you come before the king and you say, I've lived my whole life as a drug addict, he knows how to say, come here, son. When you lived your whole life as a prostitute, he knows how to say, come here, daughter. When you lived your whole life in complacency and ran from the call, he knows how to look at you and say, everybody says you missed it, but come here, preacher, I'll make you do exactly what I told you you would do. 
He spoke right identity over Mephibosheth because the king always calls you by your name. He knows how to call you by who you were really made to be. And I need to take 15 seconds to let you know you are not a sum total of your past failures. You are not a biological product of a one night stand. Baby, you have purpose. You have destiny. You have a call of God on your life. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He knows how to right what the enemy tried to wrong. I told Chad I wasn't going to shout today, but I feel like shouting right now. How many of you are glad that you don't have to live by what the enemy labeled you as, but you have been brought into a kingdom where the king knows how to call out of you what he put in you. He knows how to rightly identify you. Mephibosheth, lame in both feet. Culture said he should be dead. Trauma said he should be paralyzed. But the king called him by name and said, you're supposed to be royalty. He, the king called Mephibosheth by his name and restored what always belonged to him. Verse number six, 2 Samuel chapter nine. <clears throat> I'm almost done. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. He answered, here is your servant. And I was going to talk about this later on, but I feel something pushing me here right now. I read this, Justin, and I said, my God, that sounds just like the story of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, where the younger son says, at least the servants in my father's house have bread. He said, maybe he will make me like one of the hired servants. If you don't know what the story of what we call the prodigal, the Bible actually never calls the younger son the prodigal. He, the, 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 the Bible calls him the younger son. The story is a younger son and an older son were living in their father's house. The younger son got his inheritance early and wasted it on prodigal living. He spent it on help me Holy Ghost he spent it on give me another word harlots I had to find my King James because I was about to say hookers he said he spent it on harlots and alcohol he wasted his inheritance and he finds himself in the pig pen filling his stomach with the pods that the swine eat and he tells somebody hey man I'm going to go back and see if my father will take me back as a hired servant and as he comes to his father's house he sees his father running over the hill towards him and it says the father fell on his neck and he said go kill a fatted calf and make merry for the son that was lost has come home and when Mephibosheth said here is your servant David said no you will eat at my table like a king's son you're not a servant you're a son and a daughter it don't matter what you've been through when you come to the king he calls you by your name and says that's my child 
He just wants to see you come back. But we've been taught about a king. I can't get that far ahead of myself. Somebody say, help him, Holy Ghost. (laughs) I preached this message at a youth camp. There was a girl that came forward. I don't know why I'm telling y'all this. There was a girl that came forward at the end. We prayed for probably 95 people. And this girl came forward after we were wrapping up and she said, "Uh, Pastor Luke, I'm a lesbian. But do you think I can get saved? I said, baby girl, the father's been looking every day waiting for you to come over that hill. And I begin to say, you're not going to be a servant and you're not going to have to work for your purity. But in a moment, in a moment, in a moment, in one moment, with one word, the king knows how to take everything the enemy put on you and rip it off and place right identity on you. And I watched as we prayed for this girl and she dropped to her knees and she began to confess, I'm a daughter of God. I'm set free. I am who he made me to be. He calls you child. Give me a few more minutes right here. You're going to eat sometime today. Should have packed something. Bless God, y'all act like y'all ain't never been here before. Touch your neighbor, say don't act brand new. <clears throat> Give him some space. Listen, our bad idea of God, because, oh, help me, but I feel like I got to say it, because religious, backslidden, legalistic, racist preachers hooped and hollered about a God who would kill you if you did wrong, a God who would judge you if you did wrong, a God that hated everything. He hated Barney. Bless God, he hated dancing. If you're a woman, you best not wear a pair of britches. He hated everything about you, and at best, he tolerated you. But my God is not that God. My God is a God that knows how to call you by your name. My God is a God that says it don't matter how bad you mess up. When you come home, I accept you as my child. Pentecostals can't wear watches and Baptists can't wear makeup. And if you put a if you put a pair of pants on, bless God, you're going straight to hell in a handbasket with gasoline drawers on. And this spirit of legalism has caused more people to run from Jesus than to run to him. But I'm here to announce to you this morning, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how bad you've messed up, there is a God in heaven that says, child, come home. He said, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness. Let me tell you, I believe that sinners are under the judgment of God. I'm not saying that. I just believe he really wants them to come home so he can show them his kindness. Aren't you glad for the kindness of God? Aren't you glad for the love of the king? Aren't you glad the king says no? Now that you've come here, I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to restore everything that was yours. And you're going to eat bread at my table continually. Verse number seven, he said, I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to restore the land to you. And you'll never leave my table. All it took was one moment and one 
one word. The king called him and the king restored him. Three things that the king restored in Mephibosheth's life. Number one, the first thing he did is he fixed his perspective. He restored Mephibosheth's perspective. He restored his perspective of the king. Because Mephibosheth came and he laid down. He said, what do you want with a dead dog such as I? The king never answered him. He looked to Ziba. He said, go get him the harvest. I just been wrecked by this thing for two weeks. Go get him the harvest. Zeba, you're going to serve him and he'll never leave my table. He fixed Mephibosheth's perspective of the king. Can I tell you why he laid down before the king in this manner? Because the cultural custom was for the king to kill him. So he thought when the king called him, it was because the king was going to kill him. So he said, King, I'm already dead. I'm a dead. What do you want? I'm a dead dog. What do you want? And he said, the first thing I'm going to do in restoring Saul's grandson is I'm going to fix his perspective of the king. Because Mephibosheth, in order to receive what the king had, had to see the king correctly. Or he would never trust that the bread he was eating was pure. He would never trust at the table he was seated at that he really belonged there. He had to see the king rightly before he received what the king had. Can I tell you, friends, it's important how you see the king. It's important how you see the king. It's important that you know God for who he is. It's important that you know that God's a father that is for you and that he's not against you. It's important to know how to see the king. You have to see the king correctly. And what the enemy does is he perverts our perspective of the king through pain and trauma. He speaks words and brings us into situations that cause us to believe that the king is just like everybody else. If I was dropped because my father left me and now I'm paralyzed drinking every night to figure out why I wasn't good enough for him to stay, when I come to the king, if I don't see him rightly, I believe the king is just like my father that invites me in one day and kicks me out the next day. If I don't understand that I was dropped by molestation, but the king, when he calls me, has my best interest at home and would never harm me when I understand that the king is not like everybody else. He'll truly be able to receive what he has. The first thing he corrected in Mephibosheth was fixing his perspective to know that the king is for me. Can I tell you this morning, friends, the king is for you. The king is on your side. He is for you and he is not against you. I don't know how you've lived your life and what you've believed, but I'm telling you today, the king is for you. He is good. He restored the perspective of the king. Then he restored Mephibosheth's portion. He restored Mephibosheth's perspective and then he restored his portion. Watch this. He gave Mephibosheth everything that was supposed to be his. He said, everything that belonged to his granddad, go take it back and give it to him. Mephibosheth's grandfather died in war. 
His dad died in war, and he was paralyzed because of war. You know what that sounds like to me? Generational curse. Pastor Antoine, the good news is the enemy brings generational curse, but in one moment... The king can bring generational harvest. The enemy says, no, no, no. This is how your family's supposed to be. But when you come before the king, he says, go sit down. I'll give you what's yours. I'll give you what's your daddy's. And I'll give you what your granddaddy lost. My God, if the enemy can bring a generational curse, I wish I had somebody in this church that believed our God, our king, could bring a generational harvest. One moment, one word, all it took was one moment, and he was able to restore, I feel an old school, the years that the locust and the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm have eaten. In one moment, the king restored the years to a man that thought he lost it all. Generational harvest. I won't say it like I feel it. I'm going to preach it like I hear it. I might have lost what belonged to me, but I'm getting back double. I might have lost. I might have lost my identity when I was five, and I've lived paralyzed ever since then. But when I come to the king, I know that I'll get double what was lost, double what was forfeited, double what was stolen. The king knows how to bring generational harvest. He restored the portion that belonged to Mephibosheth, and he said everything that was lost. I give it back to you. Oh, help me. I'm out of time and I feel like going deeper. That's all I needed was one person. Send her an email. I don't know who it was, but she gave me permission. Listen. Listen. In one, in one moment, everything that was lost was restored. You know why it was restored in a moment? I gotta go there. I was trying to just, but I gotta go here. It ain't because the enemy took it. Because who was able to restore it? The king. He didn't take it. The house of Saul forfeited it. If Saul would have served the Lord, God would have used him. He was never God's choice, but a king was never God's choice. But if Saul would have served the Lord, God would have used him. But he forfeited what should have been his family's because he allowed pride to come in. So I'm here to tell you that everything you lost in your life, you need to look back because it was not taken. It was forfeited. But the king knows how to go get back what you lost and give it to you. One moment, one moment, one moment, one moment to hell with the devil that says you gotta work years and years and years I serve a God of a one moment to hell with the religious spirit that tells you that you gotta please God by works to hell with religion to hell with the devil to hell with legalism it takes one moment with the king to get back everything one moment he fixed his perspective he restored his portion 
but he gave him back his position. The king brought Mephibosheth back to the table he was never supposed to leave. He restored and corrected his identity. He removed the label of trauma and paralysis. And in one moment, he says in verse 11, as for Mephibosheth, he will eat at my table like one of the king's sons. He fixed his perspective. He restored his portion, but he brought him back to his position. He said, I'm bringing you back to the place where you are my child, where you're royalty. You're the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Blessed when you rise and blessed when you lie. Blessed, blessed, blessed. I'm bringing you back to royalty. I'm almost done for real. The king brought a crippled man. A broken man, a dropped man, a paralyzed man, and in a moment restored his perspective, restored his portion, and then he restored his position. He brought him to the place he was always supposed to be. And in the moment that Mephibosheth sat in the chair that he was never supposed to forfeit, he realized God never wanted me to live in the land of Lodabar paralyzed. He began to realize I was always supposed to be royalty. I was never supposed to live under the label of trauma. I was never supposed to be a homosexual. I was never supposed to be an alcoholic. I was never supposed to be a gangbanger. I was never supposed to be religious. I was never supposed to be racist. I was never meant to leave the call of God. I was never meant to live this way. I've always been supposed to be at the king's table. He fixed his position. Here's what's so powerful. Madison, come here. Sit right there, sweetheart. Yeah, sit there. Pull your chair up. Here's what's so powerful. When he was at the table, verse 13, his legs were never healed. This is important for two reasons. Because number one, Mephibosheth couldn't bring himself out of low to bar. And he couldn't bring himself away from the king's table. Because when you have a revelation like Mephibosheth, I didn't pull myself out. I didn't clean myself up. I didn't free myself. I didn't deliver myself. I didn't baptize myself in the Holy Ghost and fire. But the king spoke when I was stuck in Lodabar and brought me to the table. I'm going to stay where the king brought me. I didn't bring myself out and I can't bring myself back. I'm sitting right where he told me to be hey I feel like preaching in this house when you didn't bring yourself out of addiction you know I better never leave the king's table cause I can't go back to the way I used to be when you didn't bring yourself out of poverty you know I better not go back to serving money cause I didn't bring myself out it was the king it was the king it was the king that brought me out and I'm going to dance with the one that brought me. I'm not going to be saved 20 years and stop loving him. I'm not going to be saved 30 years and stop loving him. I'm not going back. I'll dance with the one that brought me. It was only because the king was good that I'm not in low bar anymore. (laughs) 
He was brought from a place he couldn't leave, and he was seated in a place he couldn't leave. Now, I don't believe in once saved, always saved. But I do believe that my Bible tells me God's forever married to the backslider. I I believe, I believe that if you get saved out of the ocean drowning that you can jump back off the boat again. But I also know that my Bible tells me that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never turn his back on you. There is a point in time yes where you reject him but I believe greater in the grace of God that forever runs after sinners, that forever runs after misidentified sons and daughters. I believe that when he brings you out he puts you in a place that you shouldn't try to leave it's 123 and I'm going to handle it that's why you need to quit looking at people cross-eyed when they come in church Oh, I feel the youth pastor coming out in me. You need to chill out because that girl walked in from the club three hours ago and her chest is hanging out. You need to watch yourself looking at her cross side. You need to watch yourself because you were just as stuck as she was. She don't know no better. She just came out of the bar to a house that tells her she's royalty. She doesn't know. You better quit looking... You better quit looking cross-eyed. You better quit looking cross-eyed at people who don't act how you act after your behind's been saved for 25 years. You're the frozen chosen. You're deader than a doornail. You're twice dead and plucked up by the roots. And yeah, uh, yeah, he's got a dip in his mouth, but he's giving God glory. God just brought him out two weeks ago. You better get it right. You better quit looking cross-eyed at tattooed preachers. You don't know where they came from. You better quit looking cross-eyed at people who don't dress like you. I'm in dress shoes, my God, and pink socks. I'm as churchy as it gets. But I know that not everybody's like me. And everybody has their own story. And God brings some people out of hell. And he places them in royalty. They might not know the right way. Have some love. Have some understanding. Have some grace. But quit looking at them crazy. Give me till 1.30 to handle this and I'll try to be done by 1.40. Hey, Mr. Super Save Steve. Super Sanctified Sally. Your hands glued to the back of that chair while you judging people who get free up here. Why has he got to dance like that? Why has he got to shout like that? Why has he got to get wild like that? Why can't he just be like me? You don't know the hell God brought him out of. He was in low bar, but in one moment he came out of no word into the king's table. And my God, the people that shout the loudest have been through the most hell. You need to get saved and stop judging everybody's worship and enter in for yourself. (laughs) 
We stay in church late because we don't want to be anywhere else. I done been to the bar. I done been to the lake. I done been to the golf course. I ain't that good anyway. Why do I want to be anywhere else? He brought me out of that mess and he put me at the king's table. This is where I was made to be. It's powerful because he couldn't leave. He couldn't leave where he had been brought. This is really why I had you up here. It was powerful. God restored Mephibosheth's portion, perspective, position, and portion. He seated him in the right position. Here's the powerful thing. He was still lame in both of his feet. Look down at your feet. Right here. Look down at your feet. See your feet right there? No, you don't. She just said, Pastor, look, I'm going to say yes. I just love you. I don't even know what you're doing. Here's what I'm saying, Madison. The place that the king put Mephibosheth every time he went to look at what was wrong with him, all he saw was the king's table. Every time he went to look at his paralysis, all he saw was his position. Every time he went to say, remember what happened to me, he looks and he says, no, I don't. I just know where he's brought me from, but I don't see it anymore. All I see is the table he set me at. And when he brings you to the king's table and you try to look at that molestation, all you see is royalty. When you try to look back at that addiction, all you see is royalty. When you try to look back at where he brought you from, all you see is where he's made you to be. The king knows how to bring you out of something. And not let you forget because it'll bring him glory. But he knows how to wipe it from your memory so it don't haunt you every night when you close your eyes. He knows how to sit you at a table to where all you really see is the goodness and grace and mercy of Almighty Yahweh. Where you don't look at your failure the same. You don't look at your running the same. All you see is that I'm at the king's table. The table... The table blocked his view. It blocked his view. God, wasn't there a crack pipe in my mouth two weeks ago? Son, God, didn't I? Wasn't I in the bar two weeks? Daughter. Every time you go to look at your past, when you're seated in the right position, all you see is the king's table. Ah, listen, he brought him, he restored his perspective, he restored his portion, he restored his position. Everybody in this place, stand up, so I'll quit. But this is what he said. I feel like getting Pentecostal. He said, Mephibosheth, 
Don't leave my organ yet. He said, Mephibosheth will eat bread at my table. And verse 13, put it up there so the people can see it. As for Mephibosheth, he dwelt in Jerusalem for he ate continually at the king's table. It's because when you committed never to leave the king's table, there's always fresh bread coming in your life. Whatever you need, it's at the table. Healing's at the table. Freedom's at the table. Deliverance is at the table. If you'll just sit down where he's called you to be, you'll find everything you need at the table. You'll never have to go look and load the bar. You'll never have to go look back into drugs, back into perversion, back into all that mess he brought you from. Every day there's fresh bread. Every day. If you need a healing one day, there's bread. And if you need freedom the next day, he's got a fresh batch that day. If you'll just sit down where he's called you to be, you'll never lack anything. Provision, prosperity, peace, love, joy. It does not matter. It's at the king's table. It's at the table. It's at the table. It's at the table. What are you saying to me, preacher? This afternoon, it's time for sons and daughters to leave Lodabar and come to the king's table. It's time for you to get out of that wrong identity that was given to you by trauma and realize that he's about to put you in a position that you'll never be able to remember what you went through. You'll only be able to give God glory through it. You need to understand he's bringing you out of paralysis and he's putting you in a position of royalty. I'm going to get specific. Daughter, he's bringing you out of homosexuality and he's putting you in royalty. Son, he's bringing you out a gang banging and he's going to make you preach the gospel. Child of God he's bringing you out of cutting and he's bringing you in to prophesy he's bringing you to the king's table it's at the table it's at the table (laughs) Mephibosheth was old enough to have a son when David called him when the king called him Let's say he was 20. That's young. 15 years of paralysis, but one prophetic moment of restoration, and he was brought into the right position. And the reason I preached this this morning is because our pastor for the last two weeks has been talking about a church being irresistible through the love of God. But the problem is you can't love anybody else until you love the king and you love who he made you to be. You will never be able to love as long as you are incorrectly labeled and falsely identified. The reason I'm bringing this to you this morning is because God's about to bring a a wave of love that this church is going to operate and move in. But listen, you have to be able to love him and love yourself before you show a lost world the love of Christ. You can't give what you haven't received. Everyone standing, play something, my friend, so I'll end this. The king's inviting sons and daughters to come to the table. In in this place, under the sound of my voice, there's people 
been bound in pornography for years. There's a seat for you. Pastor, I got divorced. How is God going to use me? There's a seat for you. Pastor, I'm gay. There's a seat for you. Pastor, I don't line up with There's a seat for you. But can I tell you this? No matter what, there's a seat at the table. But how you choose to identify as a result of trauma is not the guest of honor. The king is. So when you, when you become seated at the king's table, you have to break agreement with the lie. Break agreement with the trauma. Break agreement with the deception. And say, that's not who I am anymore. He's called me to be royalty. So across this place, every head bowed and every eye closed. I got done five minutes earlier than I told you. <clears throat> All across this place. I don't know what you went through. Now, God, I'm sure you went through stuff that I could never imagine. Hurt, pain, trauma, divorce, I mean, all that. But here's what I know. There's a seat at the table for you. I'm not asking if you're saved or lost. I'm not asking if you're black or white. Democrat or Republican, I don't care. I don't, I, I, don't care. I don't care what you choose to identify as right now. I'm calling you out of Lodabar into the, into the kingdom. How you identify is secondary to where you're supposed to be seated. With every head bowed and every eye closed, when you're correctly identified, you'll act right. You need to quit trying to fix your behavior and you need to let God fix your position. Then when you're born again, you'll start acting saved. But first, you got to come to the table. We pray you were blessed by today's message. For more content and to get to know us better, download our app at AbundantLifeChurch.com.